Hello and welcome to the Bell Mama Hypnobirthing and Positive Birth Podcast. My name is Ellie Waddington. I'm a hypnobirthing teacher, antenatal instructor and positive birth coach. And I'm here to help you go into the birth of your baby with a positive mindset. Every week I share my top tips, advice and amazing birth stories to help you go from fearful and anxious about your birth to positive and confident. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and let's get into this episode. Hi everybody and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This week I have another guest. We are joined by the lovely Mandy from Assertive Birth. Mandy is a hypnobirthing teacher and also teaches mindful breastfeeding as well in the West Lothian area. She's currently healing from the birth of her fifth baby and today she's chatting to us all about her decision to free birth. It's an amazing story and I can't wait for you to hear it. Hi Mandy, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. Um, yeah, just adjusting to life as a mum of five, so yeah. it's a bit crazy at times, but all good. Oh, wow, that's amazing. I mean, that's considered sort of quite a large family by today's standards. Does it feel like a large family to you? Do you feel like you have five children? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, <it's, laughs> it was quite funny. I was speaking about this a few weeks ago and when we had four, it was like that was almost like the the boundary of socially acceptable. And then when you have five, people are just like totally shocked. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's good. Um, I mean, it's great, and it's so funny because we never planned to have a fifth one. And I think if we had thought about it, we wouldn't have done it. But it just yeah, feels like so she was meant got to, taken out your hands. Yeah, she was meant. She was meant to be here, so she was yeah. a little happy, happy accident. But um, I think it's good that we never really had a chance to think about it because we probably would have would have decided not to have one, uh, yeah. <laughs> not to have an extra one. Um, but yeah, she just feels like she's supposed to be here, and she's she's amazing, and all the other kids love her to pieces they just Aww. like kiss her all the time and they just think she's amazing so do you think she's nice. going to be quite a spoiled baby they think all this all the siblings are going to spoil her well I don't know because my fourth one Iris she's just one and she's been basically like thrown about since she was a little baby and she's getting quite tough now so I think this one will end up being even tougher to be honest <laughs> Um, because they're quite nice and gentle with her just now, but they were the same riders. But as soon as she started getting a wee bit more mobile, she got um thrown about the place. So. Yeah, we we found that sort of just similar tough. thing with, with our two. You know, when Annabelle was quite little, we explained to Wilfred, you know, if you do these things now, when she gets bigger, she's going to be able to do them back to you, and she is. She's eighteen months now, and she can hit him. She can push she's him. Beat him up. Yeah. Boys off him and. <laughs> I told him, yeah, this is gonna happen. Yeah, well, that's Idis now. She's starting to fight back, so she's she's tough. So I think this one will just end up being even tougher. Yeah, bless <laughs> I think her. probably being the youngest of five, and like because the next two are quite close in age, where as well, she's just going to end up having to fight back and fend for herself some of the time. I think. <laughs> well, good for her, mm, you know. Poor me, so. yeah. yeah, good for her. So we're here today to talk about your birth story with Alba and you had a free birth. Now, first off, could you please just explain to us what a free birth is and how that differs from a BBA? Yeah, so it's basically intentionally given birth without any assistance from any medical person or midwife or anything like that. 
Um, and I guess there's quite varying levels of what people consider as free birth. Some people choose to have what's considered what they call a wild pregnancy, where they have no, um, no maternity care at all throughout the whole pregnancy. Um, and then some people just choose to give birth unassisted, as in free birth. Um, and then there's loads of different variations in between. So some people just accept some care, um, but not other parts of care. So um, for me, I did have maternity care. Um, I had antenatal appointments. I declined some aspects of that, um, but I did have the sort of regular appointments. Um, and then I just didn't have anyone there at the birth. Right, okay. And so a BBA, which does happen to some people, is kind of where you'd plan to have staff present. Yes. Um, but either birth happens too quickly and the midwife don't make it, or if you're on the way to hospital, you know, give birth in your car on the way to the hospital and that sort of thing. Yeah, so actually I had I've had two BBAs before. Um so my second baby, um, she was meant to be a hospital birth. And if you had asked me when I was pregnant with her, if I would consider a home birth, I would have said absolutely not. Like, it wasn't something that was on my radar. It wasn't something that I even had thought about. It was just, you know, people just go to hospital to have their babies. That's it. Um, and she was born in the house completely unplanned. So she was a BBA. Um, and then my fourth baby, Iris, um, she was born before the midwife arrived as well. Um, that was a planned home birth, but she just came really quickly so yeah that's um that's when you want someone to be there but they're not they don't quite make it in time yeah yeah so what is it that kind of made you kind of make that decision that you wanted to free birth or you and and anyone that chooses to free birth what what usually is behind that decision I think people's motivations are really different um and ideally in terms of free birth you really want to go into it not from a place of fear um or sort of trauma or anything like that like you want to really go into it because I guess it's the way that we always did it in the past wasn't it it was you know we never had medical people involved in our births um for thousands of years and it's only quite a recent thing really that it has been more medicalized um but in reality, if you look at the sort of free birthing community of you know people connect that are um deciding to go down that path, sometimes it then at the moment does come from a place of trauma or a previous negative experience. Um and I guess for me it's been like a whole journey really of five pregnancies and five births and that sort of brought to me to that point. So when I had my first baby as I say, it was like, you just go to hospital and have your baby, that's what you do. Um, and after I had him, I felt quite positive about the experience. But when I look back on it now, it was really heavy, heavily medicalised. It was that whole, what they say, that cascade of intervention. Once you have one intervention, it's likely to lead to another and all that, that sort of thing. So when I look back at it now, I think if I had known what I know now, probably wouldn't have chosen um some of the things that I chose then. Um and then as I said with my second baby, um she was born at home unplanned. And if you had said to me, Do you want a home birth? I would have thought you were insane. <laughs> but after that, 
made me realise that, you know, home birth was a really good option and it was a good choice for us. And with the third and fourth, we had planned home birth. Um, and the actual birth part of those was great. Um, but when I had my last um, one, Iris was one, um, the care that I had received after she was born wasn't great. So she was born at home before the midwife arrived. Um, and then when the midwife did arrive, the care wasn't ideal. Um, there was issues around sort of the delivery of the placenta and things like that. And really the, the, the midwife that attended was quite panicked and just brought a sort of stressful vibe into the environment. And it, it made the, it, the actual birth part, it was an amazing experience. And then the next part, the third stage, delivering the placenta, and then afterwards um, became quite negative. And I had sort of said after that, um, if I was to ever have any more, which I'm not going to do because I wasn't going to have a number five, um, I would probably like to do it without having anyone there because the way I felt about it was the bit that I had done myself all went really well. Um, yeah, so when I became pregnant, I just sort of had it in my mind that I would quite like to just do it on my own um, in terms of the actual birth part. Um, as I said earlier, I was quite happy to accept the antenatal appointments. Um, I, find, I found them quite useful. Um, and I had a really amazing midwife as well um, for that. So here we've got a home birth team, a dedicated home birth team. So I was looked after for my antenatal care by them um, and I had a lovely midwife, she was fab. And I always thought like if I could guarantee that she would be there at the birth, I would have definitely had her there. But the, the issue for me was you don't know who you're going to get. So there's a combination of up to like 20 odd midwives that could come um, because they have the dedicated home birth team. Um, but if they're out on call to someone else, it would then be the community midwives. And again, it's just different personalities as well, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's not necessarily what team someone comes from. It's just... um. So for me, sort of going back to the reasons, it, it did come a little bit from a place of fear. um, And it wasn't fear about the actual birth itself or my body being able to do it. It was more who was coming into that space and the impact that they could have. Um, on the environment and, and on the sort of course of events and how it would go. So that was sort of my reasons. It was like to prevent that sort of scenario happening again. Um, but once I started looking into it more and like speaking to other people who had planned free births and things like that, I just definitely knew that it was something that I wanted to do. Um, my husband was like really nervous about it he was really reluctant to agree to that um because I think we're just so conditioned to think we need someone there and obviously there is a risk that something can go wrong it's quite a small risk but it can happen mm. um so he always had that fear in the back of his mind like no I I just want to have someone there <laughs> um and we had like loads of conversations about that and what we what we did agree um in the end was that my plan would be to have no one there 
but if he felt that he would like to call the midwives to come, um, he could do that with my permission. And um, we then had a, pl- a birth plan written with the midwives and um, my midwife had went through that with me and stuff in terms of what that looked like. Um, and it was very much like, just don't really come near me sort of thing. Um, I had asked if the midwives could stay in the kitchen and just come into the room if needed and if we had requested for them to do that. And that was all fine. Um, and the midwives were amazing, like really supportive of that. But actually, um, further down the line, the it sort of went up higher up the tree um, within the organisation. And um, I had a number of discussions with more senior um, staff within the, the trust. And really, they were quite nervous about supporting some of my requests. Um, they really were, they were quite anxious about not offering different checks and things like that, which was interesting for me because my view was, well, I've written it down in black and white that I don't want you to offer these things. Um, so how would that then compromise your position? Because you're just doing what I've told you to do, basically. Um, but they were quite nervous about it and it just sort of put a bit of a different spin on that option of having them there. Um, and at the end of the day, we decided that actually, no, we're not willing to compromise on, you know, not being observed and not being offered different interventions and things like that or checks. Um, and so we decided... We're, we're not going to call anyone um, eat at all. Yeah, I feel like I'm waffling on a little bit. Have you got any other questions about it? Just no, I was, I was literally sort of... going to ask you, you know, That's did you fine. come up against any um, hurdles, you know, and how did your birth partner feel? And so you've literally answered all those questions that I had. Yeah. Anyway, so it, yeah, it sounds he, he like... Was, he was nervous about it. And I, there was a few different places where I reached out to for support because... See, what they say is, obviously, when you're free birthing, it doesn't mean that you're doing it on your own. Like, you still need to get support and you still need to have support in place. Um, And I did consider having a doula as an option. But when I thought about that a bit more, I was really trying to replace a midwife. Yeah. And a doula is not a midwife, as you know. It's a completely different role. Um, And really, my motivation for thinking about having the doula was for John's benefit and John really didn't it wasn't a doula he needed he wanted someone that was medically trained to be there um so I sort of discounted that option but there was a few different places where I looked for support so obviously it's great now there's loads of different online communities and things like that um that you can engage with and I think depending on what you want your birth to look like or sort of your I guess how far you want to move away from the system or how compliant you want to be depends on where you seek your support from doesn't it um, so I really like looked for support from people that were really pro-physiological birth and um, that was their thing um, and obviously the sort of free birth community and things like that so I joined um, Kemi Johnson does a, I don't know what she calls it, but it's like a support thing for people that are going to be having babies. 
Um, and it's like a monthly Zoom call. And then there's like a Telegram group. And that was amazing. That group was amazing because it was people that were really looking for physiological birth and that that was their priority. Not everyone was free birthing. Sort of like-minded people that were, I guess, were just questioning everything within their maternity care, within their birth preparation. It wasn't a group for people that were going to just go with the flow and sort of accept the different interventions that were offered. Um, and that group was really, really helpful for me because it made me think about things in a different way. Um, and one of the things, the reason why I mentioned that was one of the things that came up in that group was where people's birth partners were quite nervous about the whole, um, if it was free birth or even just kind of going against the sort of norm. Um, and one of the things that we spoke about at length was if your birth partner can't support what you want, then do you even have them there in the first place? Are they the right birth partner for you? Yeah, that's and, a really good point because you are actually better off having nobody there rather than a birth partner who's potentially unstable and is projecting lots of their fears onto you. You know, that's that's absolutely not what you need when you're in labour. Yeah, it was really, it was quite thought-provoking and there, there was um, some women on, within the group that had chosen that option where they didn't have their partners there um, for that reason and they had sort of discussed that with their partners and agreed that that was the right thing for them um, for me I, I felt like I really wanted John to be there um, and that's why we sort of worked together and came to this compromise and you know we did have that amazing midwife and John got a really good relationship with her as well um, so yeah he, he was he was really nervous about it and you know what it's like with men. I don't know if I'm stereotyping, but sometimes you're not sure if they're actually listening to you <laughs> when you're yeah. telling them all these things, right? And um, and probably like bored the hell out. I'm like talking about birth all the time, and um, anyway, just because they like I'm obsessed with it anyway. But just even for preparation for this birth, but um, it was really interesting for me because when that more senior member of staff then had got involved in the conversations and not in so many words but was basically saying we can't really support your plans John then was like really firm on that he was like well they just can't come because uh, you know they're they're not going to support what you want and I was quite actually surprised because I thought well he actually has been he has been listening <laughs> and he he understands how important this is to me um that there's no repeat of what happened in the previous time um, so if you spoke to him, he would still say now he would have preferred someone to be there, um, just kind of being honest. But when he was actually there supporting me, it, he was amazing. Like, there was no point where he'd never seemed calm or anything like that. So he was a really, really good support. And he obviously was listening to all the different things that had been saying to him throughout the pregnancy. <laughs> so I have to give him a wee bit more credit. Um, but yeah, he, he was he was nervous. Um, but I think that's okay. It's okay to be a bit scared and a bit nervous. Yeah, I mean because... it's completely normal. I mean, just as us as as women, we've had these ideas of birth literally like fed to us from day one. Men have also had those same ideas of birth fed to them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, traditionally on television, the male role is always like 
you know, them either waiting outside the room or they're just the ones literally driving to the hospital and, and panicking. So yeah. in the same way that, you know, us as women, we need to see more positive images of women giving birth. Men really need to see more positive images of what a birth partner should do in order for that to become more mainstream. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And there's, I don't think there is really much a forum for that, um, for that sharing of experiences from men um, or, or, you know, birth partners in general. But yeah, it's, uh, that's a good point. Uh, maybe we should start a forum for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See if we can get some, some more dad birth stories. But yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, in terms of the barriers, that you asked about there was as I say right throughout the whole pregnancy the midwives were really supportive and it was really late on in the pregnancy where it kind of I did come up against that barrier and I think the reason for that was my birth plan was circulated to all of the community midwives and all of the home birth team because of what had happened previously and they wanted to avoid that and make sure that everyone that could attend the birth um, was aware of that birth plan before the actual event. So I think that's how the director of midwifery had became aware of it. Um, and then she asked if she could have a call with me. Um, and we did have a really quite in-depth conversation about various different aspects of the plan and sort of different email exchanges and things like that. And then it just got to a point where I felt like we're trying to negotiate here. Um, and for me, none of the things that were in that plan were negotiable. And I and and then it was at that point that we made that that decision and just said, like, actually, no, none of this is negotiable. So if it can't be supported, we will we will do it by ourselves. Um, yeah, and it, and it shouldn't be negotiable. You know, you shouldn't go into your maternity care feeling like you're having to battle to have your voice heard, to have your your choices supported. You know. Yeah, yeah, it, it's frustrating, and it's it's this whole like it's women centred care and things like that, and um, and I appreciate that obviously like, her job is to protect her colleagues as well, and they need to make sure that they are comfortable with what's been asked of them and that they're not compromising their professional accountability but what I couldn't necessarily wrap my head around was how the things in that plan were asking them to do that um, because again as I said earlier if I've written in black and white when I'm in my thinking brain um, and I've done all the research I do not want you to offer these interventions or these checks or tests or whatever it may be how they could be called into question for them not offering those things because they're just accepting my wishes and the other thing that I find quite interesting about that is if they're asking you if you want those things when you're not in your thinking brain and you're in a really vulnerable point i.e like about to give birth it's like pretty pretty vulnerable stage is that right to be asking those questions at that point yeah that's it, that's absolutely a really good point yeah because for me it's almost like that whole consent conversation like if you were going into a sexual relationship and someone asked you do you want to have sex when you were really sober and you were fine and you said no and then if they asked you again halfway through the night when you've had sort of five glasses of wine or whatever um and you said yes 
is that real consent? I don't think it is. Um, no, and that's and um that's something that occurs to me. Yeah, with with my first birth, though, I birthed my first in a hospital, and I did no research, no preparation for anything, and it got to a point where lots of things happened, and the doctor asked me, "Do you consent to an episiotomy?" And mm-hmm. I was exhausted and scared and in pain, and he was literally there, like with the instruments already. Yeah, like, yeah. do you consent to this? I'm not going to sit there and ask for facts and figures yeah, am I? Yeah, like, in that moment. So I absolutely take your point in that actually the decisions that you make ahead of time should hold more credibility than the decisions that you make when you're in a vulnerable position. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. And it, it's that analogy, I know it's a bit extreme, but it does feel really relevant there because you, when you're in those stages of labour, as I say, you're not in your thinking brain at all. And you shouldn't be. You shouldn't have to be. Um, mm. But you're also very suggestible to, um, you know, different things. Yeah. So, yeah, I just don't know if it's the right time to be asking people those questions. And I think that's why the, the preparation in advance is so important. Um, you know, I know that that's something that you're really passionate about is, you know, doing that birth prep and, um, having that birth plan and making sure that you've discussed that birth plan and yeah. and although that situation was really frustrating for me at that time I was really angry and annoyed about it and upset and it was quite challenging especially so late in my pregnancy and, um, but the good thing about it was we we did we did have that conversation and I knew ahead of time that they wouldn't necessarily support those wishes. So it then allowed me to make the decision, you know, not to have them there. Um yeah. I think it would have been worse if they had came and then not observed the the birth plan. So although it was a really, really frustrating situation and it was upsetting, um and I think late in your pregnancy is a difficult time to have those conversations as well, really, isn't it? Because yeah. you shouldn't be at a stage where you're having to you know advocate for yourself and negotiate with people you should really just be resting and relaxing and um getting into that little and bubble and things like that so yeah yeah and I think um, it's also worth noting that although those midwives maybe were hesitant to support some of your choices ahead of time none of those midwives go into midwifery thinking you know my plan is to discount everyone's birth choices you know um, something no. that I've learned since becoming a hypnobirthing teacher is just how fearful midwives are of kind of litigation and the potential for their careers to be affected yeah. by, by those sorts of decisions. Yeah, definitely. And I think what was interesting for me was the actual home birth midwives and the midwives that I had met with or spoken with and the community side of things that would potentially be the ones that could have came out all of the ones that I certainly were okay with the plan and I didn't really have any concerns about it. It was only really when it was escalated to a more senior level that those concerns started to come in. I mean, some of the midwives on the ground may have had concerns. I certainly wasn't made aware of any of those. But um, I think it is very much that. that, that the more senior, um, especially up the sort of tree, um, that someone gets like they really are. Sorry, to talk to you. <laughs> um, the more seniors they get, like they are more focused on making sure that they're not getting sued and things like that, aren't they? So yeah. <laughs> 
Right, so shall we move on to your actual birth story now? Tell us sort of how you started to feel in the uh, lead up to your kind of due date. I don't like the term due date, but you know, the the time when, the, the kind of the period, the month where you were expecting your baby to arrive. Um, how did you start to feel? Did you start to feel like you're in labour? How was your body preparing? Yeah, I think um, it was almost like, I, it was what I always wanted, but you know because of that conversation it just made the final decision um and then I felt like I could relax after that much more um and so the last couple of weeks of the pregnancy what was interesting for me because I'm always out every single day I don't really like staying in the house much I felt like I wanted to be home quite a lot um, that was quite interesting. It was, and I, I never experienced that with mother pregnancies actually. Um, but I had this feeling that I just really wanted to be at home. I don't know if it was because of the time of year as well, coming into the autumn. Um, it was almost like I just wanted to hibernate. <laughs> um, so that was that's what I basically did was just kind of hibernate and stayed in the house. Um, my husband was off work as well. Um. And that was quite nice because he was just looking after the children and doing all the running about and I was just sitting relaxing as much as possible, which is not always easy when you've got a busy house. So that was that was nice. I quite enjoyed that. Um and I just waited, I expected to go past my due date because I had with all the others. Um I had been ten or eleven days over with all of them. I never I never for a minute thought like it would be before 40 weeks or anything like that. So I was quite relaxed about that. Um, I wasn't sort of chasing labour or doing anything to try and make it happen. I was literally just relaxing and taking naps in the middle of the day and <laughs> um, pretty much being lazy and staying in the house as much as possible. <laughs> so it was nice. Um, and I would say maybe about... It was actually just the day after my due date, so it was like a week before she was born. Um, I thought I was going into labour that night, and I was like, "Oh, this is really early for me." <laughs> um, and I had got up in the middle of the night, and I had went into the bath, and I was sort of getting what felt to me like contractions for about two hours, and then it just stopped completely. Um and then so I just went back to bed and that was it and then for the next week it was like I was getting that every now and again but it would just stop I think looking back it was probably she was probably trying to get in a position or something mm. um it was it was obviously doing something but um yeah it just kind of it just kept like coming and going sort of thing the day that I actually had her I get quite a lot of like tension in my neck and my jaw and everything, and it was quite bad that week. So I had just went and got a massage, um, just at a local place, and that was quite nice. And when I was getting that, I could feel those contractions again. But I had been getting them, as I say, for about a week now. So I did think, oh, maybe it's something, but also maybe it's nothing. <laughs> Um, so I wasn't overly thinking, oh, she's going to be born today or anything like that. 
And I got home and I was supposed to be going to my friends, but I texted my friend just to say, I'm feeling quite a lot of pressure, so I'm just going to stay in. But I said, it probably won't come to anything. And then I literally just put my phone down from saying that to her and my waters went. Uh, so then I thought, oh, it is actually going to come to something, I think. Um, something's happening here. I, start, I did get that sort of bearing down feeling straight away, which was strange. And I actually thought the baby was just going to come really quickly. The previous three had been really quick. The last one was just two hours from even like any sort of pain at all or any feeling at all of anything. Um, and the actual sort of the proper like established labour bit was just minutes really. So I thought, oh, that's it. Like she's, the baby's just going to be here really soon <laughs> and then um, so I got my mum to come and take the two little ones obviously because we were having a home birth they could have been there the older ones could have been there or whatever um, the older two were away at their dad's that day and the wee ones because it was during the day we just decided for someone to come and get them um, you see these amazing videos of people with their kids there and I never I never worried about them being scared if they had been there. But it was just more having to look after them and they're, they're quite little. So mm. I just felt like I didn't really want to be looking after them <laughs> when I was in labour. And I wanted John to be with me as well. Like, I didn't want him to be running about, like, having to make them sandwiches and things like that. So um, my mum came and got them. And as I say, I just thought it would have been really quick. And it was much longer than the previous times. So it just kind of went on throughout the day. And it was quite intense. And the waters, like, the other three girls, my water, no, I think for my second, my waters did go first, actually. And then with the last two, they just sort of went, like, straight before they were born or as they were being born. Um, But I had never realised how much waters there was. Like, it just kept coming. Yeah. The whole day it was like more and more and more. And I was like, where's this all coming from? Like, how's the yeah. baby left? It was it was insane. Um, but yeah, so I was in the bath for maybe about two hours, just sort of some points lying back, some points leaning forward, just doing what I felt like I wanted to do. Um, and I was enjoying being in the bath with the water and things like that. I never had a pool um, because I'd hired one before with one of my home births and never got in it. And I just thought, oh, what's the point? It's a bit of a waste of money if I don't use it. Mm. And I'd also like, I'd liked using the bath earlier in the labours, but not, I'd like to get out before I had them and things. So I thought, oh, I'll just, um, I'll just use the bath. But yeah, after about two hours, I wanted to get out the bath. I came to the living room and my, my husband had lit all the candles and stuff. So he was listening to me on that as well. <laughs> I had got him to do all that. And I had like little pictures. They're still up actually. You can oh yeah, they're them. really cute, yeah. <laughs> um, Just all the other kids and stuff. And there's ones of them when they were born and um, all of that. So I had to put them up and it was just nice to sort of look at. And we like watching Friends, so we had Friends on. Most of people say they watch Friends and Labour, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I think it's like everyone's sort of comfort TV, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
so we had friends on um because we like that and we were just and that was it it just kept going for like the whole day really it, it was different because there was nobody there so obviously normally even if you're at home like you've got someone there and they're sort of checking on me and things like that so I was really conscious of just making sure that I still felt okay mm. so I've, every so often throughout the day I just kept like I was almost talking to myself just to say like do I still feel safe um am I still okay do I need anyone to be here because that's the thing as well when people think about free birth or even home birth they think like it's a sort of fixed plan yeah but but always if you feel like you're in danger or you need help you're going to ask for it yeah you know it's not an irresponsible choice like you've thought about all these things and it's not like home birth at all costs or free birth at all costs it's yeah it's as long as that's right for you so I you know if I needed help I would have asked for it um but I just sort of kept checking on myself throughout just thinking do I feel safe is the baby okay do I feel like anything's wrong that I need someone there and it was always no even though well it was always no that I don't need anyone there yes that I felt safe um yeah and I think that's a really kind of important point to make is that often the points that I hear from ladies that kind of want a home birth they're a bit scared they're thinking oh what if something goes wrong and I think we have this idea in our head that something will go wrong really quickly and you like bleed to death on the floor right there and it's extremely unusual in labor for something to go wrong really quickly usually if there is some sort of a problem you have time like you you have time to make a decision before it gets to be an emergency absolutely yeah and um yeah and obviously I had done a lot of research as well in terms of things that could go wrong and how to manage them at home if that was something that you wanted to do but always there would be an option to call in someone else for help if needed as well so yeah that is really important to think about because that's when people think about home birth or free birth, um, they, they do see it as quite a radical option. Um, you, you and I know better because when you research the different risk factors, um, actually at home, a lot of them are reduced. So, you know, it's maybe the things are less likely to happen anyway if you're at home. But yeah, you, they can happen and there needs to be a situation where you know you deal with that but I always felt safe throughout the whole thing um, and it had obviously went on a lot longer than I had expected it to so I think that checking in with myself was really important to say like is this taking longer because there's a problem here like what is going on yeah um, but I never so how, felt... how long was this labour I mean, it was only eight, nine hours, which is like a completely normal length of labour. <laughs> yeah, um, to be fair, that, that's shorter than both of mine, yeah. Yeah, but it was, I think, just because for me, it was much longer than the others. Yeah. It was different from what I expected. So, yeah, I just kept sort of checking in and thinking, like, is, do I feel like something's wrong? And, and I never did. I, I think it was probably a positional thing. I think that's why it was taking a bit longer than the others did. Um, but you know everything was fine so I would say it was pretty intense throughout the whole day to be fair and the contractions were quite strong Um, and I was just sort of 
I was moving in and out of different positions. And again, I think that was probably a positional thing, trying to get her into the right position. But I'm always very much, like, I don't like to overthink that side of it. Mm. I think we can get really obsessed with, so obviously we don't want people to lie on their back, ideally, when they're giving birth. But I think sometimes it can go the other direction where people are focused on specific positions that they need to be in to give birth. So whilst it's good to be upright and like not on your back to keep your pelvis open and things like that, um, I don't think it's a good thing to be like, I just need to be in this particular position. This is how you give birth. Um, So I was just yeah. really trying to tap into my instinct. Like yeah. what position do I feel like I need to be in? rather than doing something specific and actually you get so sort of into your zone into your brain that you don't even think about it your body just moves and you you just go into those positions and that's why it's so important to kind of stay mobile and to let your body do its thing because your baby like is not just literally coming down and out there are so many little intricate movements that your baby has to make to kind of shift through the pelvis and all of the little movements that you make during labour, that are even like opening your legs, moving your hip to one side, doing a yoga ball, those are all helping your baby to descend into the pelvis and make their way out. Yeah, and there was a couple of times when I was sort of sitting down, like just sort of sitting in a seated position, and that's not necessarily something I would have thought I would have done in labour. But at that point, it just felt like that's the position that I needed to be in. Most of the time I was up and moving around and things like that or sort of on all fours. But there was times where I was sitting back and, yeah, I just sort of went with what I felt like doing at that point. Um, and like there, there was a few times where I was sort of... It was quite interesting because I read something a couple of days later and it was talking about different positions for labour. I think it was a biomechanics thing and it was talking about like lunging to one side and I've never read anything on that but I was doing that just instinctually yeah Um, and that again as I say I think that was a positional thing trying to get the baby into the right position to come down um and I was obviously just doing that without thinking about it so it just shows if we're left to just do our thing we'll do the right thing won't we we'll do the right thing to get the baby into the right position without even having to think about it so that that was quite interesting um so yeah it just kind of went on for what it felt like it was weird because when my husband told me what time it was it felt like nowhere near that amount of time had passed but I was also conscious that it wasn't as quick as the other ones had been it was like I just had this awareness of that um and then for about the last hour or so, it got really, really, really intense where I was making like the most insane noise and to the point where I was like, is that me that's making that noise? It was absolutely bizarre. It was like an out-of-body experience. It was almost like I was listening to someone else making that noise. And then I was like... Yeah, so oh. many people say that, don't they? And birth noises are incredible, you know, like actual kind of effort birth noises that you hear are absolutely incredible because we're very used to kind of hearing like screaming in like television and and various things but actually when women are kind of focused and and in control those 
deep guttural birth noises are just incredible yeah they were it was really it was just so unexpected I mean I've made noise with every one of them but this time I was just like wow is that me that's making that noise and when it came to the actual pushing stage so when with the other with the last three girls the fetal ejection reflex thing has just kicked in and they've just came out like within seconds like they've just plopped and that's been it like it, it was st- it's still been intense but this time it was like I really felt like I actually had to push her out and it was it was just so different and it was it wasn't like coached pushing where someone was telling me to do it because I think that's different where it's like you're maybe just not quite ready but it was like my body was telling me that she was coming she was ready to come but I had to put so much more effort into it to get her to come and again I think that was probably a positional thing I think she was maybe just in a, a wee bit malpositioned or whatever yeah out of interest um, was she bigger than your others um, not by much. She was eight fifteen. The other girls were like eight five, eight eleven. Yeah, so that's um, still a perfectly normal so, size. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I just think she, she just must have been in a bit of a different position. I think. Um, and so those noises that I was making, it was it was like I had to make them. It was like I needed the power from that to be able to get her to come out. Yeah. Um, and and it was like it was a real concerted effort. It wasn't like I wasn't thinking about it. It was just like I needed to make those noises, like, yeah, yeah, to get her to come out. And I, I thought about it afterwards, and I was thinking, if someone had been here, I wonder if I would have felt as comfortable being able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, or if I would have let go in the same way, because I think I, I possibly might have been more conscious. And sort of trying to temper that a wee bit, which is wrong, but mm. um, and I don't know, I don't know, but I just wonder, I wonder about that if that would have been the case or not. Um, so yeah, and then just she just eventually came, and we never knew she was a girl, so that was nice. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, um, she had the cord wrapped around her neck, and that's the only point in the whole thing where my husband was a bit panicked. So when she first came out, like he caught her and he was like, Oh, cord wrapped around her neck. Like he quite he got quite nervous about that. But I knew that was fine. I knew that was like completely normal. Yeah, that's, so that's just, quite a normal thing to happen. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's something that I should have spoke to him about, but yeah. you can't cover everything, can you? <laughs> like, no, exactly. Yeah, because you don't want to like overload. This is what can happen. This is what can happen. Yeah. Um but yeah, so he was like, he was quite panicked at that point. And then I just took her and I just unwrapped it. It was wrapped in her neck twice. Um, yeah, so li- you literally just unwrap it. Like it's it's not diff- it's not rocket science. <laughs> like no. if the cord is wrapped around the neck, you just literally unwrap it. It's easy. No, it was completely fine. And I never felt panicked at all. And I felt completely calm, like doing that. And I think that's a big fear for some people, isn't it? So it's good to know that it's normal and to be reassured by that because yeah. I only knew it was normal because I had read other people's birth stories and that, or like I probably would have panicked as well if I wasn't yeah. aware of that. So um, yeah, it was absolutely fine, just took it off and then she 
found out she was a girl and just sort of that was it. We were in our little baby bubble and she was here, so it was lovely and it was really nice it just being the two of us actually. Um and then there was quite a bit of blood come in, I noticed. There was just before she came out, there was quite a lot of blood starting to come. Uh, on the pillow that was underneath me and things, and I was aware of, I was aware of it, um, and that was one of the things that I was, I don't think, not nervous about, but it was something that I was aware that I would need to keep an eye on, being at home yeah. and being on my own. Yeah, and, and it's important to note that, like, a small amount of blood can look like loads. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's normal to lose, like, 100, 200 mils. And actually, that looks scary. It looks like a lot, but it's actually a very normal amount. Yeah, yeah. It was... Um, so I was kind of aware of that, and I was thinking, like, mm, I'm not sure if that's too much or not. Um, And we had always intended to call the midwife out after she was born and after the placenta had came. um, Because at that point... Like that was fine. Everything's been done. It's they just come and do the checks and things like that. Yeah. Um. So we had called them, um, to come, and then the placenta just came away by itself really, really quickly, which was good. Um. So that was good because again, that was another thing I was just nervous about because the previous time it had taken, it wasn't really the length of time. It had taken a little bit longer. It was more midwives were panicked by how long it took, but it really wasn't that long at all. Um, but I bet it was left in the last time, yeah. um, which was the bigger problem. So I was quite relieved when that came out. I was just like, that's it. <laughs> that bit's done now. It's good. Um, and there was a bit more bleeding. It, f- it did feel quite heavy. It felt quite gushy. Um, and there was like a bit of a puddle. I don't know how much blood it was. Um, but when I did the... So I, I talked a wee bit before about different support that I had. One of the other things I did was um Sam Gadston's free birth course mm-hmm. and a group thing. Um and in that it talks about hemorrhage and things and what you can do at home and natural rem- remedies. Um so I had the shepherd's purse, which was a tincture. Um I just took some of that and we cut a little bit off the placenta. Put it, if you put it inside your cheek, um, apparently that can help with stopping bleeding. Um, so I did those things. I don't know if I needed to do them. I don't know if the bleeding was as bad as it looked or not. Um, but it, it really, really, really like stopped, calmed down like quite quickly after that. Whether that would have happened anyway, I don't know. But it was reassuring to have those things in place to be able yeah. to do them. Um, and I'll just make, can I just make a point I also I I did that same free birth course when I was planning my home birth um not because I was planning planning to free birth I I planned to have NHS midwives here but we live incredibly rurally and where we are we're surrounded by a river and if we get more than like 12 hours of rain the rivers flood and all the roads flood so it was a potential that the midwives wouldn't be able to get through but also yeah. we wouldn't be able to get out in that situation. So I did prepare just in case we were going to have to birth by ourselves. And I do, anyone that's having a baby, I do encourage to look at 
what would you do if you did have to birth by yourself because anything can happen you know there's so many stories of people giving birth like at the side of the road or um mm-hmm. you know random places where their labors have happened so quickly so it's really quite a useful thing to know what you would do in that situation even if you are planning to birth in hospital or with midwives no i would agree and also you can obviously phone an ambulance if you need to but the people that are on the call center are really not trained in birth so they're like they're literally reading from a script and I don't know who made their script but it's really not appropriate for (laughs) it's really not appropriate advice because when I had my first um my second baby the first one that was born at home unplanned um my partner at the time obviously phoned an ambulance because we were supposed to be having this baby in hospital and the things that they were telling him were like, get her to lie. They, they told him to put pillows down and I was to lie on my back. That was like their advice. I had to lie on my back. So he's trying to get me to lie on my back. And I'm like, There's, I can't even move. I'm not even moving from this position that I'm in, like crouched over yeah. the bath. <laughs> um, and the other thing that they told him to do was to get a safety pin. I don't know what the safety pin was for. No idea. Um, and the other advice I often hear people told is to get shoelaces. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear, you've heard that one. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely nuts that people are actually told to do that. It's insane. Um, and the other thing was when I had her, they instantly cut the cord, just straight away, um, because that's obviously what's in their training to do. Yeah. Um, and I I wasn't even aware of what was happening to be honest, but if you had prepared yourself and you were aware of how you would deal with that situation you would know that those pieces of advice were not <laughs> to be yeah, followed and um <laughs> again when I was sort of arranging my home with my midwives they also warned me about the advice of the paramedics and that was out of date and that that our midwives basically said we'd rather you were on the phone to us than the paramedics yeah, because yeah. of the outdated advice yeah no so I would agree with you I think preparing yourself just in case that happens is is a really sensible thing to do um because also if you if you've not prepared it might end up being a traumatic experience whereas it doesn't really have to be I actually found it quite positive um when I had that unplanned one um just because it all went really well and I guess maybe that was just lucky as well but yeah I would agree just prepare for everything as much yeah. as you can yeah, without absolutely. overloading yourself. Right. So we're sort of coming to the end of our session together now. Um, we've been talking for a long time. These chats about birth, they can just go on for on like forever and ever, can't they? Yeah, sorry, I'm a bit of a, a waffler as well. No, no, honest. I absolutely <laughs> love it. And I'm sure my listeners are going to love it as well, but I'm not sure the memory of my computer is going to love it. So I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to sort of bring it to an end there before um, before the memory of my uh, computer runs out. Before we stop recording, do you have any kind of final messages, any parting words for any of the listeners? I think just really think about the kind of birth that you want to have and really think about what your boundaries are and be very clear on that and that applies to any type of birth not just for people that are considering free birth um but when you're sort of drawing up that birth plan you need to just be really really clear in terms of what your boundaries are and that might lead you down a different path 
for your type of birth that you want to have um, than you expected, but just be open to that. And I always think if you look into an option and research it and decide it's not for you, you've not lost anything by doing that, have you? Um, so, yeah, and trust your instincts. Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mandy. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank um, you. And I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. Bye. If you're curious about hypnobirthing and how it can help you to have a positive birth experience, click the link below in the description to receive my free Introduction to Hypnobirthing guide. You'll receive an 11-page downloadable guide all about what hypnobirthing actually is, how it works, and all of the most commonly asked questions. Thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next week. Bye!